Last week, Pastor Sean started a new sermon series called This Is Us, which is looking at our church values. And Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 from the message said, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The church values we have are not to place a burden on our shoulders, but rather to help us all to live freely and lightly as we learn to trust in God more than ourselves for our daily life. Pastor Sean spoke about the first two values being Christ-centred, am I putting Christ first in all aspects of my life? And biblically oriented, learning to look at God's Word for every situation in life and allowing His Word to both teach us and correct us, which is necessary for growth. And it's the Spirit that teaches us in John 14, 26, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And that's a wonderful segue to the two church values I'm speaking about this morning. This is us, spirit-filled and led. And this is us, prayerfully dependent. Now, these two things are obviously intertwined as how can we be spirit-filled and spirit-led unless we ask to be? And asking is a facet of prayer. And the Spirit helps us to pray. So being filled with and led by the Spirit, in fact, enhances our prayer life. We'll look at them separately this morning, but as we look to apply them in our life, they really should be seen as one fluid combination. So what does it mean to be Spirit-filled? Let's unpack that a little. So when we first open our hearts to receiving Jesus, having a relationship with Him, the Holy Spirit enters us and we are sealed. Done deal, boom. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. So we are marked as a deposit guaranteeing our position in the kingdom of God and our life eternal. But did you know that the word marked means strikingly noticeable, conspicuous, akin to having fluoro undies and wearing them on the outside? Our Christianity is meant to be visible, to have an impact, to be noticeable. That's what it means to be marked with the Holy Spirit. It's not a private thing. It cannot leave you unchanged. But the Bible tells us, wait, there's more. In the book of Acts, we read about the day of Pentecost, which is the day the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and they all spoke in different tongues and there looked to be fire resting on them. Acts 2.4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues, other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Also, oh, that's the day the disciples became Christians. No, they were Christians from the moment they acknowledged Jesus as their Lord, which may have happened at slightly different times for each one of them, but which had certainly happened for all of them by the day of Pentecost. How do I know? Well, they were meeting together, 
praying, electing a disciple to replace Judas. The work was continuing before Pentecost. Were the disciples already marked with the Spirit? Absolutely, yes. But this Pentecost Pentecost encounter is different. Now, we're a Pentecostal church. Hopefully that's not a surprise to anyone here. And as such, we believe in what is known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Much like water baptism following after our profession of faith in Jesus, the baptism in the Spirit generally, not always, but generally comes sometime after the marking of the Spirit when we first give our life to Jesus. So we are sealed and then we are filled Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, for those grammar pedants among us, you know those words, be filled, are in the present continuous tense, which means to keep on being filled. Now, it's important here to understand, you know I love words, understand what the word filled means. It actually means to put in as much as can possibly be held. So not when the Bowser clicks off at the petrol station, not leaving a centimetre at the top of a cup of tea, but right to the top. Have you ever accidentally almost overfilled a glass of water and it gets right to the top? And if you look sideways across the top, you can just see how the water actually just bubbles up and rests and you're right at the top. That's what it means to be filled. But of course, if we're filled like that, we can't pick up the glass to have a drink. We can't move it sideways, sliding it even, without splashing water over the side. Why that full? Why is that the sense of the word God was talking about? Because the Spirit is not meant to be sedately contained The Spirit is meant to spill over at the slightest touch. We are meant to leak. The slightest lifting of the corner of our lips in a smile spills out the Holy Spirit. The slightest movement to reach out to comfort someone spills the Holy Spirit over them. The slightest elevation of our arms in worship pours Holy Spirit on all those around us. And of course, as we walk through each day, we leak the Spirit as we live our Christian lives in the community and the families that we've been placed in. So we need to be continually filled. You know, if you never take any action, if we never offered a person a smile, an encouraging word, never tell our children we love us, well, then we don't need to top up the Spirit because we're holding on tight and making it all about us. But we weren't designed to be that way. We were designed to be both marked and filled to the full point where the merest touch will overflow from us and be noticeable. Matthew 10, 7 to 8 says, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out the demons. Freely, freely you have received. Freely give. We're meant to give away the Spirit's presence in our life. And I'm just going to paraphrase those words for you and they'll be uh, on your screen for you. As you go about your daily life, proclaim the Kingdom of God is near by passing on what you have to others. Healing, kindness, miracles, 
freedom, a smile, an outstretched hand, comfort, food, clothing, shelter, support, friendship, advice. And because you have freely received these things yourself by the presence of the Holy Spirit filling your life, then freely give to others out of your storehouse of the Spirit, then come back and refill your tank. You know, sometimes we can feel like we have nothing left to give. Ever had a day like that? But when you think about it, that's less about people and situations making demands on us and more about us having let our tank run dry, isn't it? We need to take time out as Jesus did. We need to withdraw to a place alone as Jesus did. And we need to pray to fill our tanks again as Jesus did. So how is your Holy Spirit tank this morning? Are you running on empty, trying to operate in your own strength? Well, perhaps it's time to top up again. Just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. It's as simple as that. Remember, I said up front that prayer and the Holy Spirit's presence are intertwined. We can't actually have one without the other. So that's what it means to be Spirit-filled. And the second word associated with the Spirit in our church value was to be Spirit-led. There are many examples in the Bible where people were led by the Spirit. Paul in mapping his journeys, Peter and Cornelius at separate times in separate locations receiving the same message, the disciples when selecting Matthias to replace Judas, all examples of being led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is meant to be our guide every day in every decision we make. John 16, 13 says, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. We are meant to be led. How did Jesus get to the wilderness? In Luke 4, 1, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Well, here's some things it does not mean. It does not mean to be led by a nose ring. You know, for some, the picture is a large bull with a ring in its nose, stubbornly being tugged on hard by the farmer to get it to move. It finally responds to the pain of the tugging and begrudgingly goes where the farmer leads. But the Holy Spirit doesn't operate that way. This verse was prophesied about Jesus, but it's the same for the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 42.3, a bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. The Holy Spirit will not pull on your wounds to cause you pain and force you or manipulate you to go where he is leading. The second thing being Spirit-led does not mean <laughs> is being pushed from behind. For others, the concept of being led by the Spirit of someone standing behind you, pushing with all their might to get you moving and you arch your back and you plant your feet and you won't move me. It's a battle with our pride and we resist being led. Don't you bother God, I'm in control. I've got it all sorted. Acts 7.51 says, you stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. The Spirit won't ambush you from behind and He will not battle with you or force you to do anything at all. So how does the Spirit lead? By standing in front of you with an outstretched hand, waiting patiently if you choose 
of your own free will to take hold. Now, I, I love the actual picture of a three-legged race. Who's ever been in a three-legged race? Oh, good, a few of us here, that's great. Fabulous fun, lots of fun and laughter as you trip and stumble your way down to the field. But who usually wins those races? Teams where one person has surrendered the placing and timing of their steps to the other. In a three-legged race, there's no point in the lead person taking humongous strides that the other person just can't match. And that's how the Spirit leads individuals too. He puts His arm around us to steady us and matches our pace so we can sustain it over the long haul. And then it's ready, set, go. What a picture. Galatians 5.25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us be led by the Spirit. And this can all only success, successfully be achieved through a relationship. Turning up on the day and being given a partner you've never met before spells disaster in a three-legged race, <laughs> as both of you try to assert dominance. And so it is with our being Spirit-led. You must get to know the person of the Holy Spirit so you can trust in His ability to guide your steps. We need to practice learning what it feels like to be led. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. He's speaking, but are we listening? And are we placing our trust in the Holy Spirit to lead us on a daily basis. Now, trust is an interesting thing, isn't it? What exactly is trust? How do we measure it? And I love this example that we used to use in the consultancy firm that I worked for, and it comes from a book called The Trusted Advisor, used with permission here. And this is our trust in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Trust equals credibility plus reliability plus intimacy, all divided by a level of self-interest. And we need to self-assess these individual aspects. And that's how we work out, is our level of trust strong in God or weak? So credibility, are the facts about God true? Do you believe that? Do you think He's credible? What's your rating from 1 to 10 on the credibility of God? Reliability, does God do what He says He will do? How far do you believe that is true? One to 10. Intimacy. Does God desire a personal relationship with me? Or is it just generally the world that He just generally sweeps over? And then if we add those things up and then put the divider line, the thing on the bottom, which I think was called the denominator, I'm a little bit out of touch with my divisions, was self-interest. Is God purely self-interested, promoting His own needs? Or is He more interested in what's beneficial for me? And what you believe about each of those elements determines the level of trust you have in God. And if your trust is high, then you are willing to submit to being led by the Holy Spirit. Just something for us to consider during the week ahead. Romans 8.14 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And I want to be filled with and led by the Spirit because it lightens my load. 
So with this newfound confidence in being spirit-filled and spirit-led, let's look now at the next church value of being prayerfully dependent. So what is prayer? Well, at its simplest, it's a conversation with God, having a chat. There are so many facets to prayer, but I'm just going to look at four this morning. Prayer is not iffy. The words we use in our conversation with God reflect our level of relationship with Him. People who don't know God or don't know Him well enough to know His character can and do still pray to Him, can still have a conversation with Him. But the prayers tend to go like this. God, if you're real, would you fix my issue? Or God, I don't know if you can hear me, but if you can, please help me. We have an example of this type of prayer from someone who didn't really know Jesus as a relationship in Mark 9, 14 to 29. I don't have time to read it all out, but you can at home. In verse 17, we read, A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by spirit that has robbed him of speech. The father calls Jesus teacher, which is a very respectful term, but it's not Lord. He doesn't know who Jesus really is, but he has heard of him because he's brought his son to him. As we read on in verses 21 and 22, we see the type of evidence again that shows this man actually has no real idea of who Jesus is. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything... Take pity on us and help us, if you can do anything. Are these the words of someone who knows Jesus is the Son of God with all power in heaven and on earth, who makes the lame walk, gives sight to the blind, raises people from the dead? No. And so it can be with us. We can have heard of Jesus And you may be sitting here today or watching with us online and you may have heard of Jesus. You may have even prayed to Him, but you might not know Him because if you knew Him, you would know both His character and His capability. And if you're not sure, then take a peek at your prayer life and check your if meter. Are your prayers iffy? If you're able If you love me, if you can hear me, if you can do it. All of us need to check our if meter in our prayer life and to check our level of relationship with God on an ongoing basis. And Jesus responds in verse 23 with something that should encourage us enormously. He repeats the man's words, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. That's what we're offered when we get past our iffiness in our prayer. Everything is possible. So prayer is based on relationship, on knowledge of the character and capability of God. Prayer is not iffy. The second point, as a well-known meerkat on television has said, prayer is simples. You don't have to perform for anyone. You don't need to impress people with your eloquence when you pray. Jesus gave us a beautiful and simple framework for prayer in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 9 to 13, which gives us a structure. He said this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Oh, we just praise our God. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask God's will to prevail and we look forward to the day when His kingdom is truly established again. Give us today our daily bread. This was just such a basic staple, the use of the word bread. We can bring anything to God, the simplest of our daily needs before Him. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. We receive our forgiveness in proportion there to our willingness to freely, freely give forgiveness to others. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We pray for protection and strength for the battle because God says there will be battles. So we need His strength. But did you note, there's not a single if to be seen. Not if you care enough about my needs, then please provide my daily bread. No ifs. But look what he also said in the preceding verse. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to standing in the synagogue, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received the reward in full. We don't pray to impress one another. We pray to hold a conversation with our Father who loves us just as we are and longs to chat with us. So let's look at verse 6 where Jesus gives an answer. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you instead of being like the hypocrites, standing out in public so all will see, competing with one another to be considered more super spiro. We are all encouraged to spend time alone with God praying, having a simple conversation with someone we know, as Jesus did. And here's another criticism Jesus had of the way certain people prayed. In verse 7, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. And in answer, he says in verse 8, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So instead of going on and on and on, trying to persuade or convince God, we need to remember God is actually God. (laughs) And He already knows our needs. But what He has done is create us to be in relationship with Him so that we have a conversation with Him, just as we long to have a conversation with our friends, sharing the great things that have happened, the struggles we're facing. So God waits with an expectant heart every day to have a conversation with you. Your prayer time is where you encounter God and He designed it to be uncomplicated. We have corporate prayer because there is power when two or three are gathered together and we're agreeing in prayer. But it's no substitute ever for your one-on-one conversation with God. Be encouraged. God loves the sound of your voice. But you know, sometimes all we can say is, God, help me. But you know, that's prayer and that's genuine Sometimes we have nothing else. And just like a good friend who let you cry on their shoulder, God has outstretched arms to gather you up the moment you open your heart to Him. God invites us to pray as we can, not as we can't. Remember, because of your relationship, you're not talking at God. You're talking with Him, which leads to my third point. Prayer is two-way. 
Prayer is a two-way encounter every time. Jeremiah 33.3, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. When we speak with God, do we allow Him to get in a word edgeways? Well, God, you just wouldn't believe the day I've had. I know, I I had to speak to Susie. She had a great need and I had to go and speak to her. Yes, I, and you know what? I asked you for something. Would it have been so difficult for you to have given me a word of encouragement for Susie? Well, I tried to, but no, no, I had to do it all alone as usual. I don't understand. I bring everything of mine to you. Is it too much to ask for you to speak back? Well, I try every time. Oh, well. That's all right, God. I guess I'll just wait until you're ready. No problems. Are some of our prayer lives like that? I know mine is sometimes. And just the, the, the beg, the, <laughs> the ask without that, be still and know that I am God. I, it's hard. It is hard. But God's Word said, I will answer you. So we need to be looking for His answer whether it's a verse in the Bible or someone friend who pops round with a word of wisdom or whether we hear him speak, we feel something revealed in our spirit. We need to take that time to listen. So prayer is not iffy. Prayer is simples and prayer is two-way. But the last one, and this is a favourite of mine, I hope you'll go with me on this journey, is prayer is a choir. Have you ever been in a work or family situation where someone more senior than you is alongside you and supporting what you were saying with phrases like, well, in Jane's defence, we had too much work to complete this week. Or, well, I totally agree with what Jane has just said and I think we should do it. Or the one that happened more often for me is, well, I think what Jane is trying to say is, (laughs) do you know there's no greater feeling than knowing someone has your back? Well, guess what? Two fabulous people have your back and their voices join with yours every time you pray and blend like a choir singing in perfect harmony. Imagine you are the tenor or soprano for the ladies. Well, who's the baritone? Well, that's Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus Himself intercedes with the Father on our behalf. Romans 8.34, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore, He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. Have you ever really stopped to consider the meaning of those words interceding for us? So intercede means to plead on behalf of someone. Another definition is to stand in the gap for someone, to publicly cover them when they cannot defend themselves. Oh, I like that one. But wait, here comes the bass underneath the baritone and underneath your tenor. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit also prays for us. Romans 8, 26 to 27, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So while you might withdraw to your bedroom to pray, 
Jesus and the Holy Spirit withdraw with you and plead like a beautiful choir of intercession on your behalf. And if you think my metaphor is a bit strong, then feast your eyes on Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In His love, He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I love, I imagine a heavenly choir every time I pray. But this church value has another word in it. Remember the word, their value is prayerfully dependent and it's the word dependent I'd like to look at for a moment because I believe that's the essence of our church value. Dependent in the dictionary means contingent on or determined by requiring someone or something for support. It means to be vulnerable, humble and reliant upon. But listen to this interesting sub-level definition of the word require, which means to claim or ask for by right and authority. Now that term right might be a bit bolshy or a bit woke for some of you this morning. And certainly some of our recent events have given a very negative impression of the term, I have a right. But when Jesus died and rose again, the curtain in the temple which separated man and God was torn from top, from God to the bottom. And that made a way for us to enter directly to the throne room of God. It gave us the right to enter directly and speak with God our Father. Hebrews 4:16 says, "Let them approach, let us then approach God's throne of grace." i.e. the Holy of Holies, that God opened up to us, His throne room, with confidence, i.e. knowing we have the right to, so that we might receive mercy and find the grace to help us in our time of need. We are dependent on God for our very breath. We're dependent on Jesus to put us right in our relationship with God. And we're dependent on the Holy Spirit to guide our days. But we also have a right by that relationship with Jesus to have a conversation with God, to praise Him directly, to ask Him to provide for our needs, not to demand that He does exactly what we want, do this, fix that, change them. But we have the absolute right to bring our concerns before Him. So the word dependent in our church values means humbly reliant upon God, but with absolute assurance that He welcomes our prayers and Himself created a way for us to approach Him directly. And I don't know about you, but I want to be prayerfully dependent. Speaking to God as a friend simply with words from my heart, no pretenses, having Jesus and the Holy Spirit interceding for me whenever I open my mouth. Oh, I want to be prayerfully dependent. It lightens my load.